Good morning, and welcome to this edition of A Public Affair on KGNU with the Community Foundation of Boulder County. I'm your host, Jim Williams, Dean Emeritus of the University Libraries for CU Boulder, and I'm a trustee for your Community Foundation. Boulder, earlier this month, renamed the Municipal Center after Penfield Tate II, the city's only Black mayor. Tate, in 1971, became the first Black person elected to Boulder City Council. He served from 1972 to 1976 and was elected mayor in 1974. He was known as a civil rights champion who stood up for marginalized communities, and he died in 1993. With me this morning are Penfield Tate III, the son of the former Boulder mayor, and Brenda Lyle, who was expected to be with us but will not be with us, was to be a speaker with us this morning, but she is joining us as a listener. And our other participant this morning is Glenda Russell, a local journalist, or better yet, a local writer and psychologist who's been writing about Tate's legacy. So welcome to you both. Penfield, welcome to the show. And tell us what it was like for you to see the Boulder Municipal Center renamed after your father and to see that big, beautiful mural on him appear earlier this, this year on the north side of the Boulder Public Library's main branch. What was it like for, see, for you to see those things happen? Uh, well, good afternoon, Jim, and good to be with you. I, I have to tell you, um, I first heard about the mural um, on Facebook. Someone I know was in Boulder and took a picture of it and sent it and said, hey, Penfield, is this your dad? And I said, yeah, it absolutely is. Um, and I know the artist, Detour, who did the mural, he's done several um, around the city. Uh, and what this young man does with spray paint is just um, amazing. But um, I, I thought the mural really captured the essence of my dad. And, and you know, uh, especially up close, I was really captivated by the eyes. Um, it, it really speaks to my dad and, and his warmth and his humanity. Um, it, it is also, I think, fitting that the mural be on the north face of the Boulder Public Library because, you know, many people knew about my dad and read about him, but they didn't realize that my mother probably worked, I think, for 30 years at the Boulder Public Library in the children's department. So that building was where she worked for a number of years. And, and there were times when dad was at a city council meeting at one end of the parking lot and mom was working at the library at the other end of the parking lot. And they'd often connect and ride home um, after their respective times in their buildings. So um, to see the mural on the one end was was really moving. And then to be present at the ceremony, it was just last um, Thursday, the 12th, um, when the, the city 
um, kept off an honor they bestowed upon him by, by voting to change the name before. And honestly, given everything my dad went through with his political career in Boulder, it was a recognition that I never thought would come. So I was deeply moved. And, and I think I shared that feeling with my sisters and all of our extended family who came from around the country to see the building dedication. Uh, my father was one of 10 and his three surviving siblings all came um, and came to town for the dedication. So it was really an amazing day. Do you... Uh recall living in Boulder when he was mayor? Oh, absolutely. You know, we moved to Boulder in 1967, and, and we ended up in Boulder by a series of fluke circumstances. My dad had done two years of law school at night while he was an active duty artillery officer. Um, and while he was visiting a retired friend in Colorado Springs, um, he checked out DU Law School as a possible place to, to do his third and final year. And one of his retired buddies said, Penfield, you ought to check out CU up in Boulder. And when he went up there and, and went into the office admissions office to get information, um, the registrar of the law school at the time was a woman he graduated from high school with in rural Ohio um, some, some 20 years earlier. So um, they got to talking and, you know, she convened the admissions committee on the old, um, one of those old Squawk Box speakerphones. Yeah. Uh, and they admitted my dad on site um, right then and there. So that's how we ended up in Boulder. So we it was supposed there. to happen. <laughs> yeah, it, it was clearly it was clearly fate. We moved there in 67. He graduated in 68. Um, I was as a kid hopeful that we'd move to a bigger city um, once he got his <laughs> law degree, but that didn't happen. And we stayed in Boulder. And so when dad ran for city council in 1971, um, I was in junior high school getting ready to finish my ninth grade year to go to Boulder High. And by the time he started serving, I was in high school. Um, he got elected mayor um, the, the spring of 74, which was the year I graduated from Boulder High. So I, I only had a few months, a little, uh, not quite a year um, in Boulder uh, with him um, serving as mayor. And, and got to watch that whole process after two years of city council. So yeah, I got to experience it. So uh, who were his mentors? Who convinced him to think about running for city council and then to run for mayor? Do you recall who his mentors were? Yes, and, and he had a number of supporters. Um, Ruth Carell, herself uh, uh, then a subsequent council member of Mayor of Boulder, ran my dad's um, campaign um, for, for city council in 71. And Joe French, a local attorney, was um, hugely influential as well. Um, they talked, um, and, and others, talked my dad into running. He was active in our small African-American community in Boulder. Um, uh, he sued the Elks Club at one point for discriminatory practices and membership. Um, he was active at CU helping um, black students get acclimated to Boulder, which is very different from many of the places they came from. So he had a large body of support. Um, and that 1971 election was really interesting because uh, my dad and Karen Padgett um, and Tim Fuller and Ken Wright all got elected and the four of them all beat incumbents. Um, and it was the first year really that the, the young students up at CU 
registered to vote in Boulder and became active. And it, it, when you look at the pictures of city council um, in the municipal building, they used to have them all up there. All of the pictures were always of white men until that year, 71, and they started serving in 72. You have my dad, you have Karen Padgett, who I think at the time was 23 or 24. You had Tim Fuller, who was a gay man and a hippie, and then Ken Wright. Um, and it just radically changed um, the composition of the city council. And then two years later, a couple other incumbents left um, and Ruth Carell and Janet Roberts joined the city council. So then you had three women on a city council that never had one woman before the 71 election and my dad. So they became the majority and they voted him um, into the mayor's office because his, his two primary issues when he ran for city council um, was to preserve um, the environment and open space um, and to secure the civil rights um, for people in the city so that Boulder treated all of its citizens um, the same. So it was a very different time. I, I think Glenda probably wrote about it. I mean, it was a time of uh, love, peace, and don't make war. Hippies um, were, were really um, an active presence in the city. Um, and, you know, Boulder even had a riot. <laughs> um, so it was a very, very different time in Boulder. Thank you for that history. I, I want to take a moment to thank our listeners for tuning into KGNU's A Public Affair this morning. I'm speaking today about the legacy of Penfield Tate II with his son, Penfield Tate III, and if I can get this right, Glenda Russell, a local writer and psychologist. So Penfield, your father helped pass the city's human rights ordinance, which does protect residents against illegal discrimination within Boulder city limits. You've said that despite Boulder's identity as a liberal bastion, quote, unquote, the backlash against the human rights ordinance changed your father's life. How so? How did, how did it change his life? Well, in a number of different ways, Jim, I, I, you know, one thing to remember is my dad and the majority of city council passed an amendment to an already existing human rights ordinance. So it was already in, Ill, illegal and bolder to discriminate in employment and accommodations on the basis of race, creed, and color. What they were doing was amending the existing ordinance to ban discrimination on the basis of, at the time it was called sexual orientation, we would probably call it LGBTQ status or identification. Um, and, and that's what they sought to do and actually did the amendment to the ordinance passed. What then happened was a backlash because what, what my father and, and others found was, although the students were a significant presence in the city as was the university, fundamentally, you know, in 1972, 73, 74, Boulder still had pretty heavily agricultural roots. I mean, Lafayette, Louisville, Superior, Niwot, those were all farming communities, really. And, and Boulder was sort of like 
a city that popped up in the middle of a rural enclave of the state. And, and everybody found that, that liberal is relative. Um, Boulder was liberal relative to the rest of the state. But, you know, having gone to elementary school, junior high and high school there, what I knew was once you got beyond my classmates whose parents worked for or taught in the university, you weren't really dealing with a, a liberal constituency. Um, most of my classmates were like big Nixon supporters. So um, mm. city was not quite as progressive um, as many thought, and, and that sparked the recall effort. Um, initially, the effort was to recall my dad and Tim, and I think Karen and Ruth and Janet, but what happened is due to the way the Boulder Charter was written at the time, Karen, Ruth, and Janet had not served long enough to be eligible for recall, so they just came after my dad and Tim, and Tim was eventually recalled, but my dad lost re-election badly, um, and, and as I mentioned at my comments at the dedication, what many people forget is he later ran for the Democratic nomination for state legislature in Boulder, oh. and the, the Democratic Party wouldn't even support him. He lost the primary nomination, which probably would have secured him a seat in the state legislature had he won that primary. My, my. So uh, who assisted him in drafting um, that ordinance? Uh, you know, well, my dad was a lawyer, so he did a lot of it. But city council has a professional staff of aides and, and assistants who support them. So, you know, it, as in a number of places, an elected official will come up with an idea and a concept, give it to a staff member, maybe do some drafting, but it's up to the staff member and the staff for the city council to come up with the final language of the ordinance. Uh, there was nothing illegal or improper about the ordinance. When it passed, it was fully effective and properly executed. It was just a political backlash by very conservative any many instances, I'll just say it, racist elements within Boulder that ended up repealing the the ordinance, the amendment to the ordinance, and, and attacking my dad and Tim with the recall election. Wow, that's a wow. So Glenda, let's, uh, let's bring you into this conversation. I understand that you have been researching and reporting on a couple of different aspects of Penfield Tate II's legacy. Tell us about you've learned. Well, uh, well, I've I've learned so much. I, I actually knew Penn, and Penn kicked me around a few times when we had conversations. And uh, he was a man who knew how to figure out what the right thing was, and he let people know how to do the right thing. And he was not shy about that. Um, and one of the things that I, I think is so impressive about him is he. He didn't, he didn't know, and I've heard you say this, Penfield, and, I've, and Penn has certainly said this to me, he did not anticipate that he was going to get quite the backlash that he did. Uh, and I think it was absolutely a backlash that had to do with homophobia and a backlash that had to do with racism. And it was all bundled up in a very strange package that was very hateful. And Penn and his whole family certainly were on the receiving end of that hate. But Ed, I never heard him regret that. I only heard him say it was the right thing to do. So that's why I did it. And what I found in him is one of one of it's really what makes him a hero of mine 
it, he absolutely knew the right thing to do. He stuck with it at every point. He encouraged other people to do it. I think it hurt him deeply that he that his plan was rejected, but it hurt him even more to see how thin this the community's commitment to human rights was because it really was thin. People, you know, people liked having a, a sort of liberal reputation, but they but they didn't want to really live up to that reputation at all. But he he did it despite that and and he would do it again. When I talked with him in 1987 when Boulder finally passed that ordinance, the next morning he and I were on the phone, the ordinance that covered sexual orientation, he and I were on the phone and he said with his characteristic laugh, he had this hee hee laugh that was really deep and melodious, he said, I feel vindicated. And I said, Penn, you are vindicated. I mean, the world has caught up with you or the rest of Boulder has caught up with you, but it took a long time for the rest of Boulder to catch up with him. What, uh, what, what was, I don't know if you know this, but what was the standing of the university uh, on that referendum? You know, everybody who could tried to stay out of that race Everybody who could did not want to take, I mean, there were lots of people who took stands. There were, there were 400 people who came to a public meeting at, at the now um, Penfield W. Tate, the second municipal building, um, myself included. And, um, and a lot of those people, a lot of those people were LGBT, a lot of the, and a lot of those people were very much against the ordinance. And you could tell the difference because a lot of the LGBT people were wearing lavender armbands and a lot of the people in the rest of the audience were carrying Bibles <laughs> and it sort of stacked down that way. And by the way, when Ken, when Penn and Tim walked into the room, they got a standing ovation for half the side of the room anyway. <laughs> they didn't get it from the other half. But, but most people, except for the people who were vehemently for it or vehemently opposed, tried to stay out of the conversation. They didn't, they wanted to pretend that they were more liberal than they were in some cases. And and I think people were afraid of it. People didn't have the courage that Penn Tate had to deal with it. And so the university took absolutely no stand whatsoever. Well, based on what you've written about and what Penfield remembers about his father, what would you say were the most important things that he taught us about Boulder? I thought he, I thought he, there's a line in a song by a songwriter I really like that says, everything looks great on the surface, ah, but it's perilous underneath. And I think Penn knew how perilous it was underneath. I don't think he anticipated quite how perilous it was going to be, but it was. So he told us some really unpleasant things about Boulder. But the lesson he taught us that was so incredibly important was, was he took an incredible situation and he dealt with it with dignity and, and with a certain um, I mean, he, he never wavered at all from his understanding of what was the right thing to do. I just talked with Leslie Durgan the other day. Leslie was a, a later um, uh, mayor, mayor of, of Boulder, and, and she was among a group of us who went to Penn in 1987 and said, I don't think this can win. Should we work on it? And he said, you have to work on it. You, you can't not work on it. As Leslie says, watching him talk about how we might not win, it might not happen again, but you still have to do it because sometimes you just have to do something because it's the right thing to do. And that's a model of a, of a human being who was also a politician who did it because it was the right thing to do. And I got to tell you, in this day and age, seeing a politician who would stand and say, I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. I'm going to take, I'm going to take it. I'm going to, it's going to really, I'm going to get clobbered on this. And he did. 
but he did it nonetheless. And that is a lesson for all of us in any place at any time. You know, to Glenda's point, it's kind of interesting at the dedication, one of my dad's younger sisters, uh, who was in grad school at the time, talked about um, having a conversation with my dad. And, and she told him, you know, Penfield, um, it's getting kind of ugly out here. You know, why don't you just shelve this thing, um, get reelected, live to, to, to fight another day and figure out uh, another way to skin this cat? And, and he told his sister, you know, if I don't have my integrity, I don't have anything. And, and he just stood steadfast. And, and, and Glenda's right. I, I mean, it, it really pained me to see the hurt in my dad's eyes and in his heart because he really couldn't understand what the big deal was. All he was saying is that you can't discriminate against people. And to see the way folks reacted with such anger and bigotry and hatred, it, it kind of threw him for a loop. So what did he uh, decide to do after he left being mayor? You know, dad stayed politically active. He spoke, he, he chaired the Rainbow Coalition when Jesse Jackson ran for president. Um, he was the statewide um, chair, co-chair of that effort. Um, he attended several Democratic um, national conventions, supported Jimmy Carter. He stayed politically active and he probably could have taken a political appointment, but frankly, he and my mom didn't want to leave Boulder. So despite how the citizens had reacted to him and not supported him, and how even the Democratic Party had sort of abandoned him, he continued to stay and work. He continued to be a, a civil rights lawyer representing people who were the victims of discrimination until he died in 1993. We were law partners at the time um, when he passed away. So he, he, he stayed true to his, he stayed his course. And you became a lawyer. Right. Take a minute and tell us about your current work. Um, currently, I, I, I have my own law firm in Denver, which is where I live. Um, I, I do primarily finance and development. I help governments borrow money to build schools, bridges, parks, airports, roads. Um, but I also represent individuals in their estate planning, and particularly families who have um, young kids or adults with special needs. I have a daughter with special needs myself. So I have lived that experience and I know how hard it is to get resources when you have a loved one who is not fully capable of, of tending to their own affairs. So I help families in that situation as well. Great. Well, Glenda, lastly, are you still writing about this marvelous man? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, I mean, I tell the story of Penn Tate everywhere I go, people hear it, people wanna know more. Um, he is, he is, he, you know, we need, we need figures who are exemplars of doing life well. And Pentate is absolutely a splendid example of, of doing some things extraordinarily well. Um, and he changed lives. I know so many LGBT people in this town who don't have a good memory around their sexual orientation from the, the entire time they grew up, except for Pentate. I mean, that's a profound thing to say about a human being. And these are people he never met. My, my. Thank you, thank you. Penfield Tate III and Glenda Russell, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you.
And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Community Foundation's monthly program on KGNU's A Public Affair. You can learn more about the Community Foundation of Boulder County at C-O-M-M-F-O-U-N-D dot org. We'll be back with you on KGNU's A Public Affair on September 27. Be well.